Have you ever been plunged under the surface of your conscious life and found yourself all at sea? My Jungian therapist said to me that this breakdown was the best thing that had ever happened to me. If you haven't been keelhauled by life, then you're not living. Welcome to the Anxious Poets podcast with Adrian Scott, the Anxious Poet. But now the sun aches over the tree line. This thing of darkness, I acknowledge mine. Reworking the territory of the past, exposing that the presence in loss is the impudent sprouting of a new life. Speaking lines gleaned from a dark and no moon night when only my pen knew its way. There is a certain kind of vow no one can make for you. It is the vow of vulnerability. Poetry, anxiety, and vulnerability. This is the Anxious Poets Podcast. Welcome to episode 25 of the Anxious Poets Podcast. I'm Adrian Scott, I am the Anxious Poet. And today we're going to be looking at the way humour weaves its way through our family narratives and shapes the way we see the world and maybe also is a, a, a thing to hide behind, a shield to hide behind sometimes and what that does to us and how that affects us, different genders, different people. And I'm really glad today, as I said on the last podcast, that we've got a special guest, my daughter, the voice of the Anxious Poets podcast that you hear every time you listen to the jingle at the beginning. It's her voice. Uh, hi, Eva. Hi, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> so it's a little bit weird. However, um, Eva and I, Eva's, how old are you, Eva? Just over 30. Just over 30. So in Eva's just over 30 years, we've laughed a lot. Um, she's got a wicked sense of humour, I think. <laughs> She is an actor, trained at Lambda, and one of the shows that she wrote herself was called A Big Old Laugh, so we'll talk about that in a little while. Um, I'm going to read a poem now, uh, just to start us off. It's a poem about um, the family that Eva and I share with her, Eva's mother, my wife, the Scottish branch of our family. Half of Eva's DNA is Scottish. So this poem is about Eva's great aunties. Um, Wilma's dad, who was a massive character, had two sisters that never got married, called Morag and Agnes. And if you wrote a book about them, <laughs> then it, no one would believe it, would they? No. no. They were huge characters. Um, Agnes trained as a doctor and was a doctor in one of the roughest parts of Paisley. Um, she was irreverent, she smoked like a chimney, she spoke a sort of pigeon English Gallic um, and when you came to the door she'd sort of usher you in because there were millions of feral cats Stray everywhere cats. that she fed and, and you couldn't sit on half the seats because they were 
pooed on or whatever. <laughs> and then Morag was the complete opposite. She'd been a, trained as a school teacher. She played hockey for Scotland, golf for Scotland. Bridge. Uh, bridge, yeah. yeah. Played bridge with Omar Sharif. And the house was full of bridge prizes. <laughs> um, the whole house was just stuffed with things. Antique things, rubbish things. Well, things. their mum's stuff as yeah, well. Yeah, 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 because that was the house that they shared. They lived there with their mum. That's right. And it was called Shobos because their mum, my wife's grandmother, your great-great-grandmother, mm. came from the islands, from Lewis, a, a village called Shobost, and they named the house that they lived in, all three of them together, until she died. And she was a great antique collector, so everything was sort of stuffed into the house. <laughs> Um, and then you got stuffed in as well and then you were stuffed because they fed you <laughs> just non-stop off food off, off food yeah food that, that Morag had dry macular degeneration and couldn't really see very well so she wasn't quite sure of the, the, the sell-by dates of a lot of the stuff um, and they didn't completely get on in fact they didn't get on at all um, and yet they'd sort of loved each other but yeah <laughs> And they would would just report each other to the police. <laughs> Agnes reported... No, Morag reported Agnes... No, Agnes, Agnes reported Mor Morag yeah. for speeding on her, her little scooter. Mobility scooter. Mobility scooter. Because she was black... Well, she was, her licence was taken away because she, she was couldn't see. eventually... All she was following was the white lines on the road. <laughs> and then... Morag reported Agnes to the local GP because she thought she was an alcoholic. Um, <laughs> she was. <laughs> and and she, the GP came to the door and got sent off with a flea in her ear. Um, and, and when he went in, because Morag didn't approve of Agnes drinking and she loved malt whiskey, she would keep the whiskey bottle in a Pringles tube so that Morag couldn't see it. So when you went in, she'd say, would you like some Pringles? And you'd be like, oh, yes, please. Would you like ice with your Pringles? <laughs> <laughs> so there was this just fantastic dance between them. Uh, and and sadly, they died within a couple of years of each other. Mm. Um, and, and so this is just about visiting that house. Visiting Shobost. We were always deemed late, or if not late, then too early, as the door of Shobost opened framing Morag, chiding us not to trip on one of Agnes's cats hovering on the threshold of perhaps the only house in Brookfield that welcomed strays with more joy than the well-heeled. Bustled in with brusque absolution for our untimeliness, greeted in Gallic by a voice from another room as then wreathed in smoke, Agnes would appear chittering and soliciting news of health and irreverent living. They would hover around the groaning table oat cakes and tea and a gaggle of disagreeing sisters all wrapped in an island mother's house. The artefacts of three women's lives in scattered abandon, antiques and bridge books piled high as they squeezed around, neither sitting yet encouraging more intake as if we were gastronomic gladiators, we who are about to burst salute you. Never could we make an exit without a thrust bundle of supplies, perhaps a butcher's pie, and of course a box of oatcakes. Now, as the last one passes, we honour these two self-reliant weavers, home-spinning with Hebridean tweed and paisley plaid. The house name for a Lewis village is quieted now. The cats drift away and the kettle is cold. 
But these women who never wore the white veil had a bond to family and hearth that birthed an abundance of kindnesses, brushed over with modesty. Who loved a brother in his industry and grind as if the name Malcolm was too high an honour to abandon. Sisters in the struggle of life, wedded to the hospitality that welcomed nieces and nephews, cats and all weathers. May your welcome outlive your frailties by a hundred years, and when we seek that threshold between this life and the other, may we see you framed together in the doorway, calling us home. Oh, it's <laughs> <Yeah>. emotional. <laughs> um, they were amazing. Yeah. They were amazing. And I think what I tried to do in that poem and what I want to try and talk about you and me is, I mean, they were hilarious. Mm. And they didn't mean to be. Oh, no. <laughs> they had no idea they were funny. <laughs> <laughs> no. And yet, the story... that I wanted to preserve the story in a poem just because... They become part of who you are. Yeah, and they and they can characters like that can be sort of especially I think unmarried women mm. can be um, seen just these little oddities in a family. They they didn't carry on the family, so they're the yeah. little kind of footnote. But actually, without like you, said, you know, like the poem says, without them welcoming everyone and keeping everyone going and looking after Grandpa, like. You know, a lot, none of the rest of it would have happened. No. But yeah, but people don't, I, and I think some of our family prefer to see them as sort of silly, silly old ladies rather than actually seeing them, the power in them, but also the comedy. They were impressive human beings. Yeah. I mean, just the fact that, that Agnes worked in such rough circumstances mm. and worked with the dying and we just had this incredible Scottish pragmatism. Yeah. And she was a friend of Ronnie Lang, the great um, psychiatrist. Oh, right. The, the R.D. Lang, yeah. She oh, she was wow. at college with him. Um, well, she, she was a real intellectual, so she kind yeah. of read beyond what was offered to her. <laughs> when they died, yeah. Andrew, that's Wilma's brother, was going to skip all the books in the house. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> so, and they had... I mean books All and books. Like original penguins and So your mum said, Oh no, we'll have them, send them down and given the fact that it was a haulage company, a great big lorry turned up with hundreds of books. Yeah. Um and I'm like, Oh what the hell are we gonna do with all these? But it, it shoved in amongst it. Oh yeah. Was um a, a written manuscript of a book called Crossing the Minch that uh, is the stretch of water between Ullapool and the islands. By Lewis McNeese, mm. and it's we've had it checked out. It, it's not him who wrote it; it's the illustrator. She wrote it out for him in Oh, that's hand. who's written it out, right? And it, I think it's actually quite valuable. But that would have all gone in a skip. And I wonder how she got that. Yeah, um, just just amazing. Well, I think she was one of those characters. That, I mean, you, she was she could be. <laughs> she could be tough I mean she yeah. could be really mean um, but but you wanted to be around her I mean she just yeah. could spin a, a yarn and the two of them together the way they talk about each other she yes. <laughs> and then they loudly right. but wouldn't actually sit in the set you'd have no, to go you'd, and file into Agnes's room and then when you'd done with that you'd have to file into Morag 
and the house was like something out of a Dickens novel um, just just because they were hoarders so they kept everything from there were golf clubs and 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 there's a little cabinet with a hole in it that Wilma when she was a little girl whacked a golf ball Morag was trying to teach her to put and it went straight <laughs> through the glass and the hole we've got it in our house now it's still there the hole and then Morag was had played bridge with Omar Sharif yeah she was she was massive in the Scottish bridge world however big that is. <laughs> <laughs> um, but she was and, yeah. and with you, your mum spoke at some great big do they had to, to commemorate and as you say within the wider family they weren't really considered that important no but but they were amazing so there's something about <laughs> I'm kind of struggling as to what we're talking about but it's something to do with humour I mean you, you've always seen mm. the funny side of life from being really little yeah Where's well, I don't know, from? did I? Because I was such a serious you were, but re- kid, but still kind of quite... But I'd sit and w- I always wanted to watch comedies, yeah. but with a straight face. <laughs> with That's a true, actually. Smile. We'd watch funny films and you'd sit there completely <laughs> straight face. But I'd watch them again and again and again. Yeah. Um, I think the first time I ever realised what, what your humour was about was when you had glandular fever. So how old oh, were you? Yeah. Um, <coughs> oh my god, I've got it again. <coughs> Year five, so what, ten? Ten. Nine, ten. Yeah, and you, you were off school for a few weeks because yeah. you were really unwell. But as you began to recover, I um, I used to take you with me. <laughs> and at that time, I was doing lots of Enneagram days yeah. with, with Doncaster Council, <laughs> with all their workers. And... Um, do you need to explain what the Enneagram is? Well, people, people, if you don't know what the Enneagram is, it's look it up on, on the web. If you do, <laughs> it's like a thing of um, about personalities. Yeah, personality types. Personality yeah. types. There are nine types, and I would do the whole rigmarole about this and a little shtick about it. We'd have a whole day, and, and, and Eva would come with me and just sit in the corner. and I, You hardly said a word, and you just mm. sat there. And then it came to Christmas, and the family had come round, and I don't know what sparked you to do it, but you suddenly started doing an impression <laughs> of me <coughs> teaching the Enneagram. <laughs> and it was just searing. It was like, uh, so I'm going to talk to you about the Enneagram now um, because you're all too stupid to understand <laughs> about your own personality. And it was just like satire. <laughs> it's absolute best. It burst every pretentious bubble I ever had. <laughs> I should have known then That's that what was you. to come, <laughs> mm. and um, and you were just flawless at it. Yeah. Well, I, do, I, I, I like to watch rather. You I observe think a lot. Kids don't you? at school who could be funny and they they just be out there and it'd be whereas I'd just sort of hang back and watch and then and then and then give it out opportunities. <laughs> <laughs> but I did. I don't know. I I always like to watch. Um, I'd still just find the most comedy in just watching, like, watching, I don't know, it's such cliche, isn't it, watching people, but, like, in ordinary circumstances. Yeah. yeah. Like, my favourite thing is to see, you know, if you're in a little tea room somewhere and you get a glimpse into the kitchen and see the women working, oh, men, that's sexist, isn't it, but see people work, just workplace or, like, 
people on a bus or just anything. I remember when we went to watch the cricket, a friend of mine got tickets for the real oh, posh God, stand yeah. at Lords to watch the cricket match, the test match, and Jacob Rees-Mogg Ooh. was having his dinner behind us. Well, he's <laughs> what Northern people call dinner. Yeah. Is lunch. lunch. And um, I remember you, all the people around us were all very posh. Yeah. And you were just laughing your head off and then could repeat everything they yeah. said after. The wine being too young. It was a bit young for me, this. <laughs> and we were there with, like, sausage rolls. From <laughs> Sainsbury's. And the gin in a tin. Yes. Yeah. But then, but you always found, but you always, that that's one of my biggest memories. You and Grandma actually reciting stories yeah. of of all the mad communities that you'd been involved in. <laughs> the one thing, so now we're on to my mother, yeah, Georgina. Um, she absolutely loved to laugh. <laughs> yeah, that song from Mary Poppins, yeah. I love to laugh. <laughs> she, things just struck her yeah. as really funny and she would fall apart laughing. Yeah. I remember my put her mum, Eva, that you're named after. Uh-huh. One Christmas, we were all <laughs> sitting watching Perry Como, of all people, and he was on the banks of the River Seine. <laughs> and there were, <laughs> there, were, there were a whole lot of frogs, like Kermit. Puppets. Puppets. Like, kicking their legs and singing with him. God knows what it was meant to be about. <laughs> Um, well, does not say a lot about that. It's set in Paris. That's what the comedy was in those days. You've got a load of singing frogs and Perry Como. And um, Grandma, I think she was beginning to lose it a little bit, but she suddenly went, "Are those frogs real?" <laughs> <laughs> and my uh, my mum and her sister Julia, my auntie, just collapsed. Was she genuinely asking? No, she was. Uh, I think her sight was getting worse. Oh, and, 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 no, but it was, God, it was so funny. And they couldn't speak. Yeah. They were laughing so much. And so I said, well, I don't think so. Mm. You know, they looked like they made a felt to me. And she went, oh, yeah. The thing is, they have bigger frogs in France because they eat frogs later. <laughs> and these things were like three foot tall. <laughs> well, that was it then. My mum and my auntie were just beside themselves. <laughs> and then my, my grandma goes, they're laughing at me, aren't they? And I'm going, no, I don't think so. Yeah. I think it was just Perry. <laughs> but that got set as a family story. Yeah, and grandma, I mean, I've got a frog necklace on. Exactly. Because of that story. And, and it's got that Peter K touch to it that, you know, every time you see a frog, oh, it's grandma. She's yeah, here. She's she here did. again. <laughs> But it, 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 I just love that sort of um, ability to find something that just it becomes memorable because it's funny. Yeah. Um, and, and I think in terms of like mental health, I know when I got really unwell, I couldn't laugh. Yeah, yeah. It just, yeah. it almost crippled my ability to find that humour. Um, and the way out, actually, was... To, uh, and maybe you could say something about this because you've seen a lot of comedians. To, to actually find the humour 
in mm. the craziness of my anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. You know, who was that? There was there was someone that you saw. Um, was it an Australian woman? Oh yeah, um, Felicity Ward. Yeah. She, so she what she calls herself triple threat. She's got anxiety, depression, and IBS. <laughs> <laughs> um, but she, yeah, she did a whole show because she had her anxiety. Well, her anxiety and depression manifest in different ways, but there was a period in her life when it was very much attached to her <laughs> bowels, to her IBS, <laughs> and a terror of not being able to find a toilet. So she did a whole show, an Edinburgh show called What If There's No Toilet? <laughs> and she did a whole... And she had a toilet on stage <laughs> with her. <laughs> and the whole show was about this period in her life where she was just governed by the anxiety... Mm. Uh, uh, generalised anxiety that fixed on that one thing but she did a whole show about it that's brilliant um, and I think a lot of people I know Susan Cam like there's loads of I think most comedians are anxious or depressed and if you're not then you're special well I, one of the podcasts <laughs> I've done in the past was with Helen Moore and mm. we were speculating as to whether you had to be anxious or depressed to be a poet <laughs> yeah um, and I think it helped um, yeah I, that that um Grandma had IBS. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, 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 Mum. To reveal your Don't personal say that in a podcast. <laughs> she knew what podcast. Was. But yeah, and she had a lot of mental health issues. She had a really bad breakdown when she was in her early fifties mm. and ended mm -hmm. up in a mental hospital. But even then, yeah, the humour. There was so much humour in that because I remember going to see her, and there was. There was this bloke, and she used to laugh about him. I can't remember what he was called, Albert or something. He was a little old Sheffield fella. And um, he just used to say the same thing over and over again. Can I have a cup of tea? 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 Cup of tea? <laughs> just incessant. And then they give him one, and they go, Can I have the newspaper? Can I have the... Oh, this and was on the ward? Yeah, on the ward, because it was like an assessment ward. She was sort of being looked after but mm. there were people that would come off other wards to be reassessed right, and then reassigned right. and I remember one day there was that he was doing that I can have a cup of tea and there was a bloke reading a newspaper and he suddenly just mm. leant across with the lighter and lit the newspaper oh. and it went woof oh my god <laughs> all hell broke loose and and fire extinguishers and and my mum was always amused by the fact that the staff didn't wear uniforms so you never quite knew who was who was mad and who wasn't <laughs> that's what she used to say line, yeah. um but it was the hardest time of her life but she credits that with why she i mean she never went back to that place i mean she no. i remember times when she'd be a bit low. low maybe but like she credits that as the thing that really turned her around yeah it, i i well, they got her off Valium. That was yeah, one of the things. Yeah. But it was it was noticeable that as she got better, her sense of humour just That's got what stronger. I always know. If I get... I suffer from depression more than anxiety, yeah. but, what, yeah, I can it's like the corners of my mouth won't turn yeah. upwards and I can't... Dry, and, it, and it upsets me so much. But but I'll still, I'll still watch stuff like dinner ladies again not laughing but but and then gradually it'll come 
the, the, back. There's something about dinner ladies. Mm. I mean, you've always loved Victoria Wood. Mm-mm. I don't know when you first saw her, but... Yeah, I don't know, yeah. But she... Th- there's a kindred spirit in, in there somewhere. Yeah. With her, I think. And dinner ladies, for me, is like... You could insert my mother yeah. in that cast and she wouldn't look out of yeah. place. And Auntie Julie. And Auntie mm. Julie. Their comments. And they they had this sort of... this. They didn't, right until my mum died, this way of having a conversation where they would just go off at tangents. <laughs> but you think, what? Hang on. So one minute they'd be talking, I don't know, about the price of bread at Sainsbury's. And then the next minute it'd be that Gorbachev's tattoo <laughs> looked like the map of the world. And it had happened. And like me and my uncle, my uncle used to say, my ears are going to bleed in a minute. Because... We'd be like, what? How did well, they get there? Well, the ultimate there? one was when the for a was it a seventieth? We did a we did a little <laughs> slideshow. That's right. Found all these photos and you put them on your computer and that's set up right. a projector screen and we did a sort of this is your life yeah, thing with our friends. That's right. It was hilarious. And the photo comes up and everyone's stuck, and it's your dad fast asleep, asleep on, on the sofa with the little poodle sat right on top of him, like him fast asleep with a poodle sat on him. Perched up there. So, and a hilarious way, and everyone's laughing, ha 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 ha, and the laughter dies down. And <laughs> Julian, grandma, I don't think that's a real telephone. That that can't be. Is that plugged in? We didn't have a telephone like that. There wasn't Who a telephone that? in that there room. There wasn't a telephone in that room. We were like, what are you talking about? And there was a on in the foreground <laughs> on the table. There was a phone. They were like, we don't think that's a real telephone. Like, what? <laughs> like, that's right. Like, Look, it's not got a wire. Did someone bring that ages. around? It's like. <laughs> Poor old Neil, he's long suffering. Um, so yeah, dinner ladies yeah. certainly is one of the funniest things. Well, I think in it's terms the of humor. that generation. Yeah, but the humour in just group pe- groups of people, and it's a similar thing because the when I was doing all the sort of BBC comedy writers' room things, like there, oh, yeah. someone came in and did a whole thing about how every sitcom is a family sitcom, even if it's not, you know, literally a family, like the yeah. royal family, like Dinner Ladies is a family. And, yeah. and it's the it's a group of people who kind of have to be together, whether it's because they were born in the same family, they work in the same place, and <laughs> don't always want to be together, <laughs> but, but are forced to, and kind of there's like love and hatred and everything mixed in with it, and I think that always is the best comedy the best humour so have you got a bit of Victoria Wood maybe yeah she, 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 I think she had poems but I couldn't find any but I think her songs are, well, they are her poems, poems aren't they um, but there's one <laughs> called <laughs> Pam um, which I'll do I think it's 16 verse I mean she didn't brevity wasn't her no. <laughs> well, strong suit let's have a few we'll do a few um, so yeah she she does it with the piano and she does little da 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 da's but anyway 
Can I tell you who I am? I'm Pamela Patricia, but they call me Pam. I don't like shorts or slingback shoes. My only pair of trousers are my gardening trues. I don't say who, I do say whom. I never use the toilet, just the smallest room. I don't say gay, I still say queer. I think that Mussolini had the right idea. <laughs> da, 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 da. Got engaged in 62. Got married in the April in a nice pale blue. It all turned sour, to say the least. I was stuck in Abigail with a sex-crazed beast. <laughs> Our wedding night, I heard a cough. There was Harold in the doorway with his pyjamas off. Now look, I said I must be blunt. I couldn't give a beggars on the whole sex front. Not me, not my scene. I prefer a game of rummy and an oval teen. <laughs> Harold, dear, do get dressed. I've seen one in a book and I was not impressed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then it goes on, and she has an affair with a woman, and, and anyway, she was a genius. Just, yeah, she she was the best. It's so sad she died so young. I know, because and I wonder. I don't know. It's hard to tell. Is it? Cause we were watching a bit of Dinner Ladies last night, and yeah. some of it's a little bit yeah dated around. Um, I don't know, there's lots of fat jokes and jokes about gay people. But, I don't know, I think she always was... She she puts those jokes in the mouths of, you know, like Dolly, who's a bit... Yeah. Who reads the Daily Mail. I think, I wonder... Because I read in the Daily Mail. Yeah, I wonder whether she'd... What side of all the culture wars or oh whatever God, she'd have... Yeah. And I think, but I think she'd have been able to skewer every side of it yeah. somehow. I think that's what she was good at. But no, Yeah, definitely. But it, I think why I like her is because the women she mm. writes are like uh, the women in our Real. family. Absolutely. Yeah, on, all, on both sides. That's the thing about funny things, is they seem exaggerated, but when you're in the middle of them, God, yeah. like Agnes and Morag, or some stories that we'll tell about Grandma in a minute, <laughs> it, it, they're just, people are endlessly funny. Yeah. Poetry, anxiety, and vulnerability. This is the Anxious Poets Podcast. So, you wrote a thing called A Big Old Laugh. Yeah. Which is exploring the idea of humour as a way of justifying taking up space. Is that yeah. Yeah, yeah. I wrote it because I wanted to write something about uh well i guess starting up i wanted to write something about body image um because as an actor or someone just in the entertainment industry when your kind of physical form is is i don't know up for discussion quite a lot <laughs> um it yeah i had a lot to say about it and as i started to think about how my relationship with my body just about my relationship with my body, it, I sort of realised it was inextricably linked with comedy and I was looking back at who had inspired me, namely Victoria Wood, and then I kind of looked back at a history of kind of funny women and funny big women, or yeah. even not that big, but women who don't look like the people that play the ingenues or the love interests and... Um, the kind of leading ladies yeah. of the world, which is a archaic term, but sadly it's still kind still, of yeah. it's still used. But um, and realised that if you were bigger, 
historically as a woman or as female identifying comedy was the kind of the shield you used to deflect any comments and it started with i found because i remember joe brand uh had a famous opener where she'd come out and she'd move the mic stand and she'd say i'll just move this so you can see me (laughs) and she and i heard her talking about it she was like it's just it, it just you come out you go yeah i know i'm fat don't worry you don't need to say it. You don't need to shout it at me. You don't need... Like, I am aware of it, so we'll just get that out of the way. And I'll make the joke first so that you can't. And, uh, and then... It's very powerful humour. Well, yeah. But then I looked back and I found this woman called Tessie O'Shea, <laughs> who yes. I only heard about because of a family... Story. Story, which I'll tell. But she she was around in... Well, she was a music hall yeah. kind of, or a... Yeah, variety star... She was the the warmer pack for the Beatles on the on the uh, what was it that American uh, the uh, Tonight Show I don't know yeah, some American like show yeah some American show when the <laughs> Beatles broke yeah yeah she was the warmer she was the warmer packed um, and she she won an Oscar and Noel Coward wrote did a musical she? for it yeah 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 wow if, if you did I mean you did see my play and I did say it yeah I know <laughs> sorry I wasn't listening. listening I was I promise <laughs> um, but she she was she was a big deal but she kind of got forgotten but but I was watching footage of her yeah and she comes out with her banjo she and she was a big woman she had this. Big, she wore sparkly castles, feather boas. She had this massive blonde hair. She kind of ran banjo. Blah, blah, blah. She said, okay, my loves, I'll just move this so you can see me. And I was like, oh my god, it's it the started joke. then. Um, but I found out about Tessie O'Shea because yes. at Grand's, uh, so Mum's mum's funeral, oh, yeah. um, Mum did an amazing eulogy, which yeah. again, I, I mean, funerals are funny things they as are. well, like. Full of comment, but mum is brilliant at speaking things like that because she great. she weaves everything in. But she told this story about because <laughs> um, our mum's parents, you know, Gran was a farmer, a farmer's daughter, That's and right. worked on the farms, and Grandpa That's was right. a labourer, and and but Grandpa through sort of building this haulage company, they they sort of went from working class to swanning around in middle class circles quite with quite a jump quite quickly and I think Gran probably suffered from that but but she so she was always trying to be the lady wife (laughs) (laughs) she was trying she was trying she was a bit hyacinth bouquet she was trying to sort of be more um middle class middle class than she was and they were in Blackpool where they went on their family holiday every summer God bless him. Two weeks. And they were in the lift, and the lift doors open, and Tessie O'Shea (laughs) comes in, and she is a big woman. At that time, Grandpa was at least 20 stone as well. Yeah. And Tessie O'Shea tries, for some reason, had a diet book out and was trying to sell her diet book to To Grandpa, Grandpa, which to no avail, and then turns her attention to Grandma. She goes, Oh my, you know, I think she was a. A, an infamous flirt Tessie yes. O'Shea turned to Gran and said, oh my love are you in show business you look awfully familiar and the Gran <laughs> replies oh not I I am but a simple housewife <laughs> like a sort of <laughs> biblical or Shakespearean figure and they all turned to look at her like what 
Um, all the all Wilma's siblings yeah, just lost it. Slid down the side of the lift. <laughs> I am laughing. A simple housewife. <laughs> um, but that's how I heard about Tessie O'Shea. Tessie O'Shea and that, but but anyway, the, and the yeah. So the the whole play is about you. Yeah, how comedy is such a useful tool to deflect and to and to. To, to sort of feel like you've got power in it, I guess. Yeah. If, if you feel... It's it's one of those things where you take back the power. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because it starts off... I do remember it, because I did go <laughs> and see it. With, with you being handed costumes. And that was from a real experience, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I went... I went uh, yeah, when I just left drama school and, you know, was nannying and doing anything to make money and got asked to go and do some basically glorified extras work on um I think it was Vanity Fair on ITV or something, doing like dancing in the background of one of the big balls. Um but it was quite good money and anyway I got sent along for a costume fitting at like the crack of dawn before I went to do my nannying job um somewhere in North London, this big costume place. And it was all all you know, like type of activity and everyone getting fitted and all these things with feathers and corsets and whatever. And I got put in a dressing room and they went, okay, someone will be with you in a minute. Can you just put that on? And that was like this weird corset thing and then these like white sort of thigh-high stocking things which cut into my thigh. So I was there in sort of my pants, these stocking things and this half-fitted corset just sort of waiting. I was left waiting for ages and then this woman comes in, little costume woman, and she drags the curtains open and just looks me up and down and goes, oh, yeah, I just know we have nothing that's going to fit you here today. Oh, my God. And I was like... And I'd had to send... You know, I'd sent my measurements that's ahead. Terrible. You get a call from the ADS. Can we have your measurements? And, and she went, oh, wait, wait, wait there. She goes off, waits for a bit longer, comes back. Yeah, yeah, I just... The, we, we've got some lovely big dresses coming in from Italy next week, but right now we have nothing here that's going to fit you. And she was like, go go and talk to James and he'll sort you out and we'll get you back another day and he'll make sure that you paid for your travel and whatever. So, and I just like, and I never went back. I, never, I didn't do the job. Because um, I just Didn't thought, they say to Victoria, would have you ever thought about wearing a kaftan? Oh, no, that was... I mean, I think every woman in comedy has been, been put in a kaftan. But I th- it was Sarah Millican was talking about was that, it? of um, when she'd do a photo shoot for like one of her shows and they'd go, we've got this lovely big glittery kaftan. <laughs> Because they think that's all that will fit um, anyone over a size 12. I remember <clears throat> the big old laugh that it reminded me of um, a sort of weird take on um, Scrooge. Just that you, yeah. like you were visited by these three. So you're visited by Tessie, Tessie O'Shea. O'Shea yes, it's and then Hattie Jakes. Hattie Jakes, who I remember. Yeah, really well. from the Carry On film. And she was. Because Tessie O'Shea. You know, I mean, and that was a time when there, you know, you didn't really do personal interviews and with no. exposés or anything. So it's hard to know. But she, she talked about how her mum told her to write songs about being fat. You know, yeah. use it, use Ten it. And Ten Ton Tessie from Tennessee, Two Ton Tessie. Well, let's not. God damn. Um, but she. Uh, yeah, and it was a lot of bluster, and yeah. but then I looked at Hattie J, and she was a bit more open. There's more pathos in her. Yeah, and and she talked about. There was an interview with her where she talked about how she really wanted to do serious drama. She was a yeah. brilliant actress. She was a great actress. 
but she said, you know, ultimately, if you're fat, you're funny, and that's it. And and there was a heartbreaking story that on a documentary about her of like she she was asked to go to the national. She was asked in at the national. They said we're doing some I don't know some restoration or something. Right. We're doing it. And she was off, and she was so excited like, finally. And then she found out it was for the like big fat funny maid, and it broke her heart. And she refused, refused to do it. Um, and it and I think with her it really took a toll. Um, yeah. And because that's the so what the show is ultimately about is how you, the 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 using comedy and using humor is is a gift in that it, like you say it gives you the power back. But if you're constantly making fun of your own body exactly. and your own like it it's it costs something. And um, that comes across. That came across. I thought it was incredibly brave because you did half of it in your bra and pants, pants. like a nutter. <laughs> I think part of it was COVID-induced psychosis because um, I've been sat in my. Oh, I wrote it while I was sat you in my did, room thinking you? we'll never go out again and the theatre will never exist. Again. Next thing I know, I'm on my on stage in my pants. And and but you use humour in that. Because mm. there's this, there's this thing where you make people laugh, and then suddenly, mm. come in with something really mm. poignant or powerful. I think that's when humour really, it like opens up your soul to something. Yeah. And then, and then you can get in. And then you can really get in and yeah. make people. If you can make people laugh, then you can make them cry. It seems yeah, to me. I I'm. Never really. I think when I was younger, you know, when you start out acting or or writing or anything in the arts, I guess you think that tragedy is the truest form. Of, you uh, know, if so I can sure. cry, but but then I think as I've got older, it's like I don't. I'm not really interested in anything. That's why I can't be asked with all these. BBC dramas about murders or <laughs> missing children. You know, I just. And it, you know, fine. I mean, but I good, think, yeah. but yeah, but stuff like, uh, I've not watched it all, but that's Sherwood. Like, it's awful, but it's there's, there's funny it. bits. There's and I just think it's that is the reality of it's the reality life. of life. Yeah. So, um, you you are now about to be in a play with Maxine Peake from. Oh, me fingers crossed. I'm, I'm so <laughs> nervous. Still but <laughs> I mean, the contract's coming through. But let's just touch wood anyway. Yeah. And that is, I mean, I better sounds, not. I mean, I don't think no, this will this will break the internet. Will it? But um, it, the humour in that is, you, I mean, I don't know whether she's aware of how much she kind of learned or, or from, took from, from Victoria Wood. But yeah. it it's a group. It's a similar setup of a family, a group of women, mm. and one man, <laughs> um, <laughs> and. Uh, there's, but yeah, it's. Don't you think that there's something funny about groups of women? Oh God! I don't mean as a bloke that sounds like really sexist. I don't yeah. mean. Aren't they funny? Aren't they funny? Women these women pretending they're to just, have jobs. Just make you laugh. <laughs> um, no, but I because I grew up with all women. Well, that it was yeah. My mum, my grandma, my auntie Julie, my auntie doll. I mean, <laughs> they were, and they were just always laughing. Yeah. And they were that you know, like in Pride. Yeah. There's, that, there's that bit when they're all upstairs oh, looking, looking at, at the porno magazines yeah. and, and, and the two gay guys who sleep at <laughs> these women never sleep <laughs> that's my experience of growing yeah. up was with just this gaggle of women yeah. who endlessly I mean my mum and grandma found one of those magazines they used to have students oh, lodges, yeah. living in the house and, and 
they went from girls to boys at one point. I'm not quite sure. I think it was because I was hitting puberty. <laughs> so they had to force students living in the house every year to make them make the house pay. Yeah. And uh, they found... <laughs> Grandma and my mum found this magazine. And it was a it was like a, a gay magazine. And it was a bloke with a, standing next to a horse with nothing on. <laughs> and they just howled. It was just like in Pride. Oh. They laughed and laughed and laughed. They just thought it was hilarious. Um, so there is something. And you remember those women that sat behind us at Hillsborough? Oh, God, yeah. We used to go and watch Wednesday. Yeah. Um, there was a group of women sat behind us, and they were a family. Yeah. You, you, they had, what did they, they had, there was grandma, great-grandma, yeah. and then great-granddaughter. And an auntie. And an auntie, yeah. And, and the little girl just she could have been anywhere she didn't she she didn't watch a and single they, bit of they football. had that sort of thing of one minute they'd be talking about about the price of bread and yeah. the next minute telling the manager that 442 was the wrong formation yeah yeah and then ogling at one of the guys when he took his shirt off to put his yeah shirt on. yeah yeah um they were hilarious because you you thought of writing a sitcom about that yeah yeah and it's still in my still head yeah i, I just think families of I think families and families of women are just, yeah, that's the thing that makes me laugh the most. Um, but then I think it's, I don't know, it's that thing of, um, like with your family of women, they, they they were a family of women because of tragedy and because of, uh, yeah. yeah, and it's, um, but then, yeah. There's something amazing about the indomitable humour of women. Yeah. Um, to to get, through. I mean, men have it too. Like Peter Kay, I just think he's oh, incredible. God. But I just think there's something about because I grew up with them, mm. and so our family is just full of of stories. Yeah. About <laughs> the worst, or not the worst, the best, but the most yeah. the most um, outrageous was when I went to Israel. He's the most. I could listen to these every day for the rest of my life, but I don't know why. So, my mum and I, I'd just met Wilma, it was 1989, and she'd always wanted to go to Israel Well, because wasn't it that, but also, um, Eve, grandma... So, my grandma worked for a Jewish family yeah. um, in London, and that the, the whole thing of Judaism was fascinating to my mum. Um, and they would go to the house and then they emigrated mm. the family to Israel so part of the idea of the pilgrimage was to, at the end to go to Netanya where this family lived mm. um, and and have a, a, a couple of days in a hotel there and, and, and do seaside and all that stuff mm. but anyway she'd booked us on this pilgrimage um, with with nuns and priests and it was all very holy and grandma was never a very holy person no. she she was like it was like dolly and what's what's the Jean. other one dolly and Jean on tour <laughs> that's what she was always like wherever she went she was always looking for a decent cup of tea yeah um and and she brought that sort of slight little englander view to the world and we we so they asked in the form are you prepared to share a room? And she thought it meant with someone else. So I would share a room with someone my age and she'd share a room with someone her age. 
Oh no. <laughs> when we got to the first hotel, they put us in a room together. <laughs> How old were you? Me, uh, 1989, I was 30, uh, 29, 30. <laughs> <With your laughs> she mom. was in her 50s. Oh, so we had to share a room, and that was hilarious in itself. <laughs> um, just because of the way she had so many roots. She knitted in bed, <laughs> smoked um, in, in bed. She's just unbelievable. And we go to Galilee. That was the first place. Mm. Lake of Galilee, lovely. <laughs> We're on the lake with, with Jesus, you know. <laughs> with well, Jesus. not with Jesus. He but was there. <laughs> <laughs> not with Jesus, wow. you know. <laughs> but, that was nice of him to come down. <laughs> But you were imagining, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. That holy, he's holy. coming across wow, the lake in yeah. the storm and all this. And we <laughs> swam in the lake one morning and I picked up some pebbles. Mm. And I said, oh, I'm going to take these home. And she went, oh, I'm going to wait. And the thing about my mum was you didn't question her because if you did, <laughs> she'd just shout at you. So I was like, I was thinking, wait for what? But I thought, no, I'm not going into that because that'll be a long argument. Okay, you wait. Um, um, and then the next place we went to stay was Jerusalem mm-hmm. we're in the east quarter of Jerusalem the Arab quarter yeah and <clears throat> I spent three or four days with all the young men that worked in the restaurant mm. who it was the second intifada and they were oh, Palestinian right. Arabs mm. Christian and Muslim and they sort of took me around yeah I mean it was a bit dangerous really when I think about yeah. it and I remember thinking god this is such a just a city in such conflict Even and such though, oppression yeah. and you, you just couldn't work out how how it all had got that way but anyway first night <laughs> anyway grandma was there to sort it all <laughs> grandma was there first night i woke up in the morning she's sitting bolt upright <laughs> in bed knitting she'd made three cups of tea by then and i was like you're right and she was like no i'm not i said what's the matter three o'clock this morning there was someone playing a radio outside i could hear it it was so loud i was like a radio that's weird what was and she said so i said what did you do she said oh i just shouted out the window will you shut up (laughs) and then i suddenly thought oh my god I said, well, did it sound like chanting? She was like, uh, yeah, it did. I said, Mum, it was the Muslim <laughs> call to pray. <laughs> she was like, what? What do they want to pray at that time? Oh, <laughs> God. And I was like, did anything happen when you shout? She said, well, no, it stopped in the end. I said, really, I think they stopped praying. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh and I'm thinking, God, she could have been shot. <laughs> And then, so that day, was she was not in a great frame of mind to begin with. Um, and then the priest, they, they were, everyone else was very pious. Mm. And the priest said, okay, uh, we're going to do the Stations of the Cross. It's called the Via Dolorosa, the Way of Sorrows. And you go up through all the markets, the old part of Jerusalem. It's quite atmospheric. And it's mm. the way that Jesus went mm. to the cross. So... We're going through the market, and my mum's she's enjoying this. You know, the following Jesus, and Jesus falls for the first and the second and the third time, and we're all there and we're all praying. Then we get to this massive church, the mm. Church of the Holy Sepulchre, mm. probably the holiest site in Christendom. <laughs> and I could see her looking up, like, 
what is this? <laughs> and she's looking at me. You know how she could look like, <laughs> what the hell? So we go in, and everyone else on the pilgrimage is just falling about with the, the awe of this place. <laughs> and it's dripping with candles and uh... gold and... And yeah, anything holy in the Holy Land, you've got to crouch down and sort of get your <laughs> arms under. <laughs> we go up. We do the, the, the Jesus is nailed to the cross. Up we go. Jesus <laughs> crucified. And literally, it's an altar. And then there's a hole. And you put your hand in. That was the socket where the cross went in. Wow. <laughs> and everyone else. And my mum just looked at it as if it was like dog dirt on the floor. <laughs> And looked at me and went, and I'm thinking, oh no, uh -oh. this isn't going well. We come back down the stairs, there's there's like a slab where they laid Jesus, yeah. and then there's the sepulchre that you crawl into as well. And this little monk's tugging mm -hmm. at my mum to buy a candle, and she's going, get off me, get off me! <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, and we so we go in... Jesus is laid in the tomb, everyone, candles, lovely, beautiful, holy. <laughs> she, we, the priest says, uh, um, we, the, the stations are now finished, you can go and make your own private devotions. <laughs> so we went, she's going, Adrian, Adrian, come here, come here. I said, what? What's this? <laughs> what the hell is this? <laughs> I said, this is the church of the Holy Sepulchre. This is where the cross where Jesus, it's not. So, well, it's not. okay, we can have a discussion about <laughs> biblical history as to whether archaeologically yeah. this is, but this is where they think it happened. Yeah. No, it didn't. Said, what do you mean, no, it didn't? She said, there is a green hill far away without a city wall. Where's that? So I realised that she had this, <laughs> this vision of a of a hill like on the Easter card, yeah, the three yeah. crosses, one with a blanket on it. Yeah. And 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 that's what she was expecting. And I was like, Mum, it was two thousand years ago. <laughs> she said, Yes, but this is where I was going to get my stones. <laughs> I was like, Mum, if everyone had got a stone since then we'd be in a massive crater. It's it this is what it's like. And she just looked at me and she went, I, I, I don't like this. <laughs> I, I, I'm not having it. And no, I'm, I don't like this. I'm going shopping. <laughs> and she literally, like something out of Dinner Ladies, stomped off. out with a handbag off into the markets and went shopping. Just incredible. <laughs> just that, I mean, she converted to Catholicism as well. And she's come to, <laughs> to the holiest place. place. In, in the whole of Christendom. And it didn't match her image. And I wish there's a place called the Garden Tomb, mm. which is historically nothing, but the, yeah. there is, it would have been it what she wanted. It would have looked wanted. like that. But she was just brilliant. This is the way she wrote the whole thing off. Yeah. And all the other pilgrims were looking at her like... Sacrilege. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, she wasn't. That's the... <laughs> As with everything else in the world, it had to fit into her view <laughs> of, of where Jesus was crucified. And, and her, her like, what she'd grown up with. Yeah. Her view of what the world should look like. That was what was brilliant about her. 
But then that was what was so incredibly funny. Ugh. But she could also laugh at herself. Yeah, yeah. So as time went on and that story became part of our family, she'd laugh, she'd laugh as yeah. much as me. Um, and and the whole the whole that whole sort of she was brilliant at using her humour to burst bubbles. Yeah. Well, with the piety, the faux piety yeah. of, of that that whole situation. She could see straight through. Yeah, it. yeah. Um, that you know, when we went to the Wailing Wall, <laughs> there was a couple of religious sisters, and they were saying they were Irish, and they were saying, "Have you got your petitions?" And I was like, "Petitions for the Wailing Wall." We'll put the petitions into the Wailing Wall, and I'm thinking, "This is a Jewish." Yeah, sign. my God. If if anybody's taking them out at the end of the day and reading them, they'll be like, <laughs> you know. Praying for the restoration of the temple and, and all this, and then all of a sudden there'll be one to the Blessed Virgin. <laughs> Could you please make it that, that Sister Imelda passes her a gram? <laughs> because again, it was that like they had a yeah. Catholic worldview that, that and that that and what Grandma suddenly would stand above the whole thing mm. and say things like, "Wow." I wonder if Jesus was born today, if, if if Jesus was meant to be born among the poorest, whether he'd have been a Palestinian. Yeah, yeah. Because of the way yeah. the Jewish state was treating, mm, you know. But but she loved, you know, she loved Judaism. And yeah, she loved yeah. Passover both, and all yeah. of that. But she she was suddenly a, amazingly able to hold all of that. Yeah. We've nearly done. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we've actually spoken about what we meant to speak about but, <laughs> but yeah we've we've it's just that thing about watching for what's funny yeah is that um, right is that how i said that right it, th- about I've, being i think it's even and yeah about being because there we've all met those people who were either born without or have it extracted at some point, have their sense of humour extracted, and no, you could pull your trousers down, moony them, fart, <laughs> you could do anything, and they wouldn't get it or crack a smile. And um, also people who go out into people, because I think that's the thing, that's how I sort of, you know, why I fell in love with my girlfriend was like we'd be on a bus and see something happening and I'd start laughing and she'd get it whereas and then I noticed when I'm with other people that I get on with but some the same thing would happen and they'd be like what because I, I just find humanity or just people going about their lives yeah endlessly funny and it when I have been depressed yeah. or anxious sitting around a table with you telling those stories about yeah. Grandma in Israel or about Eva or about yeah. Moragana, like, it just settles something. It's pathos. It's, it's that thing about human beings in really difficult circumstances or just crazy circumstances mm. somehow finding... There's something dignified about humour. Oh, yeah. There's yeah. something dignified about when things are funny. I find Dinner Ladies a really dignified programme. Oh, God, yeah, Those yeah. Those characters are real people. It always strikes me that these are real... You know, she's created yeah. real people that that y- you really empathise with. Yeah. 
and and that pathos it takes you somewhere makes you feel better about yourself yeah that that you we're all connected yeah we're, we're all in this together that's why peter k makes me laugh because he just picks up on what we all see well, it's the ordinary as well it's not anyone highfalutin and often the highfalutin kind of high-minded people are ones that get brought down yeah a peg or two by that but it's that kind of comedy that is just within anyone's family any any workplace any you know you don't yeah. have to be someone <laughs> clever or no. rich or like it is just it's available to everyone yeah and i think there's something great about somehow recording your own family stories yeah um, and passing them on as like heirlooms mm. they're better than things oh god way yeah. better than things they are better than things because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> your mum um she she had a very streamlined life yeah in terms of yeah, she belongings well and 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 she had her affairs in very particular order unbelievable the, when they did the probate for her estate mm. I took a box file mm-hmm. that she'd got. She had and it the, already. And the woman said, I wish everybody's probate yeah. was as easy as this. Your mum had everything left yeah. in order. But um, we didn't... In her, streamlined, yeah. Yeah, and we you know, we have that little cabinet of her the special, special things, things that she collected, uh, you know, the odd bit, a couple of rings, but, like, but we've got all these stories so, yeah. and a connection... Powerful memories. Yeah, connection to... We've got a sort of direct connection to historical events like the war, yeah. to, to those stories in Israel. Like, when I was it's just... translating that Ukrainian poem, not mm. that I speak, it's Russian actually, I don't speak either. <laughs> well, I was translating <laughs> from the original Cyrillic. I don't, I don't speak either. But I was asked to help translate <laughs> yeah. a, a Ukrainian poem about the war yeah. that's going on now. Yeah. The woman said to me, how do you, you seem to understand what it's like to be in, yeah. A place that's being bombed. And I said, because my grandma and my mum, mm-hmm. they lived through the Blitz in London and those stories were the heirlooms they passed on. Mm-mm. And it, they're really powerful. I'm, mm. I, You know, being in an Anderson shelter, the next door neighbours being bombed out, all of that, just, mm. it all sticks in your head. But that's um, why I'm glad that you write and I write and, you yeah. know, and mum, pe- we're so lucky to have people making that because it just helps preserve it i love it. that idea of heirlooms that humor humorous stories are heirlooms <laughs> that are like they're like inoculations against yeah. but but they don't make you feel any less grief-stricken no about their absence but they sort of almost like sacraments when you laugh about like telling that story is almost yeah. like she was here. Yeah, yeah. You could feel her presence in that laughter. Yeah. So I, I've got this. It, this isn't a funny poem, um, but it's about. It's about. <laughs> if we grandma. do it in a funny voice. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think that it's just about grandma being evacuated, mm-hmm. and that was a funny story. So, oh yeah. yeah. So she, right at the beginning of the war, everyone was evacuated from London. Mm-hmm. Grandma was one of them. And they put a little paper label mm. on their coat. And my grandma, Eva, who you're mm. named after, took her to the station, I don't know which station. And for some reason, she'd heard Littlehampton, but actually it was Northampton. Oh. So Littlehampton's on the coast, Northampton's not great. No. <laughs> um, and, and they literally put her on the train 
my grandma and granddad, and they, when they got off the train at Northampton, they were allocated to a family. Then the family would fill in the label. And send it back. And send it back, put a stamp on it and send it back. Oh. And that was the first that my grandparents knew of where their daughter had been sent. Can you imagine now? Own. Can you imagine now? People would be going absolutely mental. Yeah. I'm not putting my child. Yeah. You know, and everybody did it. Um, but after six weeks, my grandma went to see her. Yeah. She hadn't had a bath for six weeks. Yeah. And my grandma Feral. said, this isn't happening. Well, because the, <coughs> because like people grandma. did it for money, didn't they? Well, they, quite, yeah. it was a woman. Well, and they had to. They were yeah, forced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, you just had to take them. And yeah. they, they just, but they had loads of kids. So they yeah, yeah. Keep and them so clean. she went back to London and lived through the Blitz went to school twice a week and you know collected shrapnel in the streets but so this is about her being an evacuee mm. evacuee i imagine you standing there on the platform with your label and your gas mask strung over your shoulder excited to be traveling chattering with friends then tearful startled at that first shunting movement as the train judders gasping steam pulling you away from home away from the blitz and the bomb-laden skies over london I still have your label posted back from Northampton, the first hard evidence reaching my grandparents' doormat of your safe arrival in unfamiliar lodging. Such a gap of waiting. Now, when I locate a sudden departure in my life, where the present state of things demands a moving on, I pray to that little evacuee, the mothering all latent in her child's womb, yet to be born from war's labour and my delivery. Now again... You have been evacuated and I have received no handwritten label, no assurance of your safe arrival. What do I tell your grandchildren still missing the woman who sang them songs from the war with calm assurances of peace? Is it perhaps that the lengthening gap of absence, the empty chair that must have filled your mother's Wilsdon Terrace and now sits in the corner of our unvisited Sunday afternoons, is your presence, rendering our deliveries and departures hopeful? Does absence become presence, a sacrament of holding, latent as I evoke you now, and a young girl's hand slips into mine? <laughs> Sorry, that was a very unhumorous end. Yeah, good to end on a laugh, isn't it? <laughs> oh my God. But, yeah, I, th- I think it's how you evoke someone who's absent yeah. in those stories. And it's been really good talking to you. Um, you too. And I hope that our meandering conversation yeah, is of some. <laughs> it, it might make people laugh, and that's the Maybe. best thing of all. Yeah. Um, thanks, Eva. Thank you. Poetry, anxiety, and vulnerability. This is the Anxious Poets Podcast. <laughs>